trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, if you're a first-time wrong thinker, I understand it can be a little bit uh, little bit intimidating to step outside of the boundaries of approved opinion. Maybe you realize or you've recognized that uh, if you seek the truth, and even worse, if you speak the truth, people will hate you, they will mock you, they may even threaten you for not going along with their preferred lies. But uh, you know what? If you're serious about standing up for the truth, you need to understand that there are people who are there right alongside you. I know our numbers are few. It's that's intimidating. But there's something to be said for having a clear conscience as well as having a grip on reality. And I'm not here to provide you with all the answers to the world's problems. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I am here to encourage you, though, to seek the truth as honestly as you can, even the painful truth. And when you have come to the conclusion you've paid the price, you're, you're ready to commit to the truth of, of whatever it is, to speak it, even if your voice shakes. I have some wonderful sponsors who make this possible. I hope that you'll visit my website, thebrianhydeshow.com, and, and patronize these sponsors. If you have need for what they have to offer, I would encourage you, please do business with them. If you know somebody who needs what they have, please refer them to my sponsors. They include hslammo.com, monticellocollege.org, lifesavingfood.com, and also garagedoorproservices.com. Man, there is just so much going on today. Where to begin? I've got uh, I got a couple of really interesting things just off the top of my head. Um, the Justice Department, I try not to get too ensnared in national politics, but it is so interesting to watch the people who are being sent to prison, not just, you know, some prison camp, not some, you know, club fed minimum security prison, but like literal federal detention facilities because they were present in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And I know we're supposed to believe, well, they were terrible rioters and threatening our democracy and they're going to overturn the whole country and, and who knows what they're going to do, put the orange man in power. I really doubt that, by the way. I think there were people who had very legitimate concerns about whether the 2020 election was as honest as we're told to believe it was. But, you know, that's, of course, without benefit of proof. But I saw this statement by Dr. Simone Gold, who talked about how she actually went to law school with the judge who ended up sentencing her to prison. And she says the animus that this judge showed her and the the just barely controlled rage that this judge showed really makes you stop and wonder is justice being served or is this you know as if you if you've read the platonic dialogues as as uh, thrasymachus and and socrates were, were discussing is justice really just the interest of the stronger because it sure looks that way and I don't want to be cynical I want to believe no in America justice will prevail and that's the whole reason we have You know, government in the first place. Bastiat was the one who put forth the idea. Why do we have the law? So that justice may prevail. But what I see happening with the January 6th committee, what I see happening with the incredible anger and punishment being levied towards people charged with misdemeanor trespassing, nonetheless, off to prison with you. 
oh, it may only be for a couple of months, but you know, to the same people who are sending these folks to prison and, you know, lecturing them, oh, they're not showing, you know, sufficient remorse over the five lives lost, which by the way is a lie. It's an absolute lie. The only people who died on January 6th were Trump supporters. Some from heart attacks. One was shot to death by a Capitol Police officer. That's it. But to sit there and to pretend that, well, if you showed up at the Capitol, you know, you're guilty of, of killing them. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of melodrama. I'm not saying that it was a good thing for people to, to get rowdy or irreverent. But at the same time, I would rather risk that kind of irreverence for our temple of democracy than people just passively sitting back and, okay, well, if someone in authority said, you know, that, you know, there's no reason to question what happened in the election, I guess I'll just have to go along with it. There's, there's just no way that you can stand up for your rights. There's no way that you can stand for your freedom in the face of people who are very determined to take it from you without offending somebody. And that's, that's especially tough when the somebody who you're offending is not only the person trying to take your freedom, but they have this entire multi-billion dollar press corps on their side to spin things and propagandize the public and try to inflate what you've done into some horrific, heinous act. And it's sad how many people are buying into this. All I know is this. There, there are truly extremists out there. But I don't think they're the extremists that we are necessarily told are the extremists. I'm seeing this right now in, in Idaho, where I live. Um, the, the Republican convention took place a couple of weeks ago. And it was very telling that uh, GOP party leadership, it was a clean sweep. Every single incumbent member of the GOP leadership in Idaho, uh, in the, the, the party leadership, I should say, was voted out of office. And new people were voted in. And you should see the hand-wringing. Oh, my goodness. You should see the, the hysteria that is sweeping, not just the, the left-wing media, and there's, there's a lot of hysteria on their part, but also the establishment Republicans. It threatens their power. It threatens their, their uh, control of, of the processes and the systems that they're so used to. I mean, the Idaho Statesman, this is, this is like the newspaper of record for Idaho, has published this two-part series on uh, white nationalism and extremism in Idaho. And it is just off the charts, fear-mongering. And what they aim their, uh, their cries of radicalism at is people who stand for things that, uh, that not even 50 years ago were simply just considered normal. That's the crazy thing. Joseph Sobran used to say, if you want to be considered an extremist these days, just go around quoting the founding fathers. Well, to be considered an extremist today, all you have to do is opine that, you know what? Men dressed as sexualized women, grooming children at LGBTQ pride parades, that's not a good thing. That's not healthy. See, that was just normal even a few years ago. If you dissent from coronavirus lockdowns, and the incredible expansion of government power to deny people their right to move about, to congregate, to, to operate their businesses, not because it was saving lives, but simply because someone in authority said so, and you better obey, you're considered an extremist. If you don't like the idea of your kids being taught this racist, critical race theory, 
which teaches them white people are are evil from the very get-go. I mean, do you want your kids taught? Well, because of the color of your skin, there's nothing you can do about it. You're evil. If you think that's a bad idea to teach that in school, well, congratulations. You're an extremist, too. If you question the idea of vaccine mandates, denying people the right to work for a living, unless they submit to a medical procedure which they may not want or need, you're an extremist. If you question the wisdom of banning God from every aspect of public life, you're an extremist. If you question the wisdom of encouraging children to mutilate themselves and to transition into another gender at an early age, you're considered an extremist. If you believe that uh, somehow the, the riots that took place through 2020 and into 2021 were, were good and normal things, and they, they were actually, you know, in the name of justice, but boy, those people who trespassed in the Capitol, why, they were the worst thing ever. You're considered an extremist. So I would say, don't worry about the labels. And I know that's easier said than done. Maybe if, if you haven't been called names before, that's a very painful thing. It's, it's not easy the first time somebody takes a good swing at you and starts, you know, applying those kind of labels and questioning your motives and otherwise trying to, to tar you. But I would submit that if you are opposing the people who are doing their best to take from you your freedom and to force upon you and upon your children leftist ideology, Marxist ideology in many cases, if you're opposing them, yeah, they're going to smear you as an extremist. But every single one of those things I just outlined, to me, still seems very extreme compared to what was just normal, even just a few years ago. So if that doesn't scare you off, if, if this is, you know, if you're feeling, like, okay, well, this is making sense, I would say pull up a chair. We have a lot more to cover in today's show, and hopefully it's something that will leave you more certain of who you are and what you stand for than just simply, well, this is who you're against and this is what you should hate. I'm not, uh, I'm not one who runs on fear or hate, and I'm certainly not trying to bring more of either of those qualities into the discussion. But if you have suspected that something is afoot and it's not necessarily in your best interests, your instincts are good. So don't worry about being marginalized. Of course, the people who want to put you in chains would marginalize you for daring to oppose them. Do it anyway. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a shout out here to uh, my uh, sponsors, including Garage Door Pros. Now, for my listeners in the southwest corner of Utah, this would include St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. We are talking about a local company that installs services and repairs garage doors. I think that's something we pretty much take for granted until you have need for repair of your garage door or your kid backs into it or maybe you're building a home or you are establishing a business and you need a garage door. Well, residential or commercial, they can handle it all. Their doors are made in America and they offer a very quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you and absolutely, positively outstanding service. 
If you don't believe me, I would encourage you, go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. Check out the reviews from actual customers, and you'll see for yourself. They go above and beyond to take care of you. You can call them at 435-525-2773 or go to garagedoorsproservices.com. All right, let's dive in with both feet. When it comes to making sense of the wave of craziness sweeping around the globe, I find that James Howard Kunzler is a pretty hard voice to beat. And he is very confident that the current wrecking crew that's hard at work to reset everything in the world is going to be overcome. Here's how he puts it. He says, in keeping with the principles of mass formation psychosis, the maliciously insane people in charge of national affairs will expect you to swallow ever greater absurdities to maintain their control and, of course, to protect themselves. We stumble into the horse latitudes of summer, feeling trapped in the stillness. The heat disorders minds, and these are minds already scrambled by official propaganda. We are this close to a general recognition that the COVID vaccines were a deadly scam even while Rochelle Walensky of the CDC keeps pushing boosters on TV and the entire public health bureaucracy stands by silently behind this murderous fakery. He says, when their trials finally come, will they plead that they just didn't know? How is that possible? The answer is it's not. James Howard Kunstler says the crisis of the vaccinated is coming and there won't be any hiding it. Anyway, nobody expects actual news reporting out of the legacy media. It will get around the, the, through, the alter, through the alternative media, rather, for sure, and it already is. But the real spread will proceed when all the everyday people see themselves and those around them get sick and realize they have one thing in common, and that's the vaxes that they submitted to. In fact, it's already happening. In keeping with the principles of mass formation psychosis, those maliciously crazy uh, people in charge of our nation's affairs are going to ask you to believe even more crazy things. But we're way beyond the women with penises stage of the mind-messing program. Nobody with a functioning brain believes that anymore, except the people who run the California prison system. Next up, apparently, he says, is a little hot war with Russia or China, a useful distraction from the systematic self-dismantling of Western civilization. I mean, did you realize that Joe Biden, in quotation marks, has sent troops from the 82nd and 101st Airborne Divisions to Europe, supposedly to train the NATO forces of Euroland? And he asks the question, is this some kind of bluff? Or does Joe Biden and company imagine they'll pull off some blitzkrieg counteroffensive on the ground in Ukraine and recapture territory secured by Russia painfully since February? He says, if we send troops into the Ukraine, into Ukraine proper, rather, it would amount to a deliberate sacrifice of our supposedly best soldiers in a meat grinder. Maybe the purpose is simply to further weaken the U.S. military, humiliate NATO, and hasten the death of the West. And he reminds us, of course, we have no real strategic national interest in Ukraine. We had no quarrel all the years that the Russian Soviets owned and operated it. We were the ones, the United States, set in motion the current conflict by cooking up the 2014 color revolution. There followed the fat years for Hunter Biden converting U.S. aid money into revenue for his many shell corporations. Now, James Howard Kunstler says, I doubt that a plurality of Americans will fall for another such stupid hate Russia ploy. We've had enough pointless and costly foreign misadventures. This would be a war 
exceeding the unpopularity of Vietnam and could easily unleash widespread street protest. Only this time, the left will be pro-war and the party of chaos will send out its ragtag army of Antifa trannies to make the street protests bloodier. But it'll be seen for what it is. The ruling regime's war on its own people and it will be overcome. Vying in the absurdity of Olympics, the World Health Organization just declared monkeypox a public health emergency of international concern. But only after the outfit's chief, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyes, overruled a World Health Organization committee that voted against such a move. Now, monkeypox, you understand, is a disease spread almost exclusively among the gay population. That is, men having sex with men, exchanging bodily fluids. Outbreaks have been linked to gay orgies, especially during the recent June Pride Month festivities. So, do you think it might be more appropriate for the World Health Organization to issue an advisory against, say, gay orgies? But really, he says it's just another obvious power grab, an attempt by the Schwabenklausian maniacs to push people around and wreck the economy in order to build back better. That is to orchestrate a program of severe digital social control for managing its depopulation event. The United States Department of Defense is now authorized under the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, to administer a mandatory vaccine program. While the CDC has bought millions of doses of supposed monkeypox vaccine. Now, knowing how deadly the COVID vaxes were, do you really think that masses of Americans who happen to not engage in gay sex might line up willingly for those new shots? James Howard Kunstler says, I kind of doubt it. The idiotic war provocations, the renewed climate hysteria, the dishonest health scares are devices for postponing, canceling, or screwing around with the U.S. midterm election. If the left loses the U.S. Congress, then the globalists will lose their main weapon, which is the party of chaos. Meanwhile, the Euroland leaders are already falling and whole governments over there will crash and burn in the months to come. By the way, if you've seen what the Dutch farmers have been doing lately... They, uh, they are definitely in full rebellion mode, dumping refuse, dumping manure, blocking the highways. But hey, it's just their livelihoods that are at stake. So it's not like uh, they're just, you know, a bunch of madmen and malcontents coming from nowhere. Back to, back to James Howard Kunstler's article. He says, all of this is happening against the background of a wobbling financial system that is making life unaffordable for what's left of the middle classes. One way or another, they will be sharply motivated to rescue their own livelihoods and recreate a country under real rule of law in the service of liberty. He says, we await Joe Biden and company's most desperate move to turn off the Internet so that Americans won't be able to communicate easily or remain informed about anything. Now, of course, if they try that, they'll also destroy everything that is managed automatically by computers in this land and plunge America into the battle against the demented bureaucracy that rules us. Okay, that's not exactly the most optimistic thing you're going to hear today, but at the same time, I believe that is very based in reality. Now, you're probably asking yourself, okay, you have spelled out uh, the the gravity of the situation. What, What should I be doing about this? Okay, a couple things I'm going to recommend. I'm not saying this is the only thing you should do, but first and foremost, I think you need to be becoming as self-reliant as you can become. And the first and most important step of that kind of self-reliance, I'm going to suggest, is to get right with God. 
Everything else falls into place if you are making that a priority. Get yourself right with your creator, then start focusing on how would you take care of yourself and the people closest to you. And I'm talking the basics here, food, water, shelter. You know, do you have medical supplies? Do you have training? Do you know how to how to use those things? I'm not talking necessarily a Mad Max scenario. I'm just saying if supplies were disrupted, if you <clears throat> had to make do with whatever supplies you have on hand, would you be able to do so? I'd also look for the good people around you. Look, it's true. If you look for angels, you will spot them around you in your day-to-day life. And likewise, if you're looking for devils, you know, to your sour satisfaction, you're going to find those too. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. By the way, springboarding off that uh, last little bit of advice in the last segment about becoming more self-reliant, I'd like to encourage you to click on a link I provide in my sponsor section, and that is for lifesavingfood.com. Right now, there is plenty of food storage in stock. I know prices are going up, but this is, this is true with every single thing in our lives. Inflation is definitely taking its toll. So the good news is the food you buy at today's prices is still going to be food that you can consume even when the prices continue to go up. You know, you, can, you just have, uh, you know, a nice 25-year window in which to uh, use that food. But the peace of mind of having it on hand, pretty hard to put a price on that. That's lifesavingfood.com. So I want to share kind of a positive story with you. Um, this is this is something I saw this uh, thread on on Twitter the other day and thought, okay, this is a cool story, and I have to tip my hat to Bertine Schaefer for uh, putting this together in a blog entry on her Substack account. Will street food save us all? Now I know I love street tacos. <laughs> I think, yeah, yes, indeed, it will save me from that uh, that hunger pang I'm feeling right now. But uh, this is actually a true story about what happened in a particular L.A. neighborhood. And Bertine Schaefer sets the stage here. She says, I've been talking about street food as a way to save the world for years. More from the standpoint of it being a relatively cheap and simple way for people to make a living. In parts of Asia, street vending is just considered an easy option for someone to take up for a while if they lose a job or if another business goes under. And the streets there are filled with vendors. So she says, I hadn't really thought about this aspect of it, but it's very true. When there is genuine street life, the streets are safer and they feel more a part of home than when everything is regulated into sterility. And sterility isn't safe. So here's the story of how one taco stand changed a Los Angeles neighborhood. This is a tweet that was sent out by Vanessa Guerrero, who says, Living in L.A., I've lived in many a neighborhood in which police helicopters circle all day and they don't do anything except be loud and annoying. But she says, you know what improved the morale and safety of my neighborhood in less than two weeks? a new taco stand. And she says, I'm 1,000% serious. In general, street food vendors on a block mean more pedestrian foot traffic round the clock. If they're open late, that's more eyes in a neighborhood. And additionally, in an area with many dark, empty storefronts, it literally adds light and vitality to the area. She also says more of the neighborhood is meeting with each other, waiting in line for nearby tacos. I know I met people three houses down that I didn't know. And I feel like we're all only now getting to know each other over a torta and some soda. 
Now, here's the key. Vanessa Guerrero says city planners had left the area in disrepair. But it was the vendors who literally cleaned up the block. They picked up the trash the city neglects. And she says, I'm serious when I say the area they posted up, in that area, it's markedly cleaner. That's not the work of the local waste removal services. This is Taqueros. They also posted up at a bus stop. And they're open until 2 a.m., meaning people waiting for, at a, for a bus stop are no longer waiting alone in the dark. There's a noticeable air of camaraderie, safety, and enthusiasm. Street vendors, she says, did more for our neighborhood than the city ever did. So the next time you see the elote guy, thank him for his service. He's doing a whole lot more than just selling corn. I know somebody may take this, well, you're just saying that street vendors are the answer to every problem. No, but you have to admit, Vanessa Guerrero makes a pretty good case that in this case, they did solve a number of problems on a number of levels. And I really like the idea that it's actually brought people out into the streets where they can meet each other. There's something about breaking bread with people or eating tacos with people that brings our defenses down. I mean, if you've sat down and you've shared a meal with somebody or just had conversation waiting in line, you know, to, to get your street tacos, it does. It, it takes you out of that bubble where, well, I'm just minding my business and you better mind your business. How many of us have neighbors three doors down that we've never met? I'm ashamed to say how many times in my life that's happened. People just a few doors down that... Uh, you know, I meet for the first time after years of living by them. So, commerce, the free market, lack of government interference, for lack of a better way of saying it, seems to be an answer that uh, not too many people are looking for, but I think it's a legit way of looking at this. All right, shifting gears. You probably have noticed that efforts to make wokeness a mainstay in U.S. classrooms have been very intense of late, and I'm happy to report that some people are finally pushing back. I've got an article here from John Dale Dunn. This was published in AmericanThinker.com about how the National Association of Scholars is taking on the Marxists in education. And John Dale Dunn says, look, I'm not a professional academic, but he says, for many years, I've been a member of the National Association of Scholars, or NAS. It's a politically conservative academic professional group that has always opposed the Marxist, socialist, collectivist invasion of education and other institutions of Western democracies. Well, back in June, Peter Wood, who holds a Ph.D. in anthropology from the University of Rochester, president of the NAS, released a position paper opposing leftist invasions of American education and culture that are broadly referred to as diversity, equity and inclusion, or DEI, as well as critical race theory. In a long and thorough, we're talking more than 4,000-word critique, as well as a call to arms and opposition. It's titled Regime Change, Repelling the DEI Assault on Higher Education. And in this article, John Dale Dunn provides some excerpts from the monograph as well as some comments. I'll just touch on a couple of them, but I want you to see the introduction or at least hear the introduction to this position paper. This is from Dr. Wood who says, criticism of American society for its inequitable treatment of blacks and other minority groups has become a focal point of American education at every level of instruction. Sometimes this criticism is historically well-grounded and tempered by recognition of social, political, and economic complexity. But more often, 
This criticism veers into simplistic claims and fictions presented as fact, anti-racist agenda in post-secondary education have not drawn nearly as much attention as they have in K-12 through schools. So, in this essay, he says, I intend to address the critique of America on racial grounds, mainly at the college and university level, but the problems in K-12 through schools will necessarily come into the picture. And from here, they go into why words matter, and actually... uh, how some of the, the vocabulary used by America's racial critics seems unassuming or kind of a technical demeanor that hides their truly radical meanings behind those words. So as example, uh, anti-racism, that's a word contrived by Boston University professor Ibram X. Kendi. Kendi and his followers use it to mean racial favoritism toward blacks, deliberate discrimination against whites aimed at compensating for what they call a systemic racial injustice and the suppression of all speech and action opposed to their preferred policies. Systemic racism refers to the uh, supposedly omnipresent racially disparate treatment built into institutions such as law, the real estate market, medical practice, and education. Even individuals who decry racism and are free from any personal racial animus are thus part of systemically racist institutions. Then you have critical race theory, or CRT. That's a branch of neo-Marxist social analysis formulated by Harvard Law School professor Derek Bell in the late 1970s. Proponents of CRT see themselves as liberating people from their illusions by showing them that American institutions are built on and continue to perpetuate racial oppression. They also believe they have a duty to subordinate all activities of life, and especially education, to the CRT's disillusioning project. Diversity was a doctrine first articulated by U.S. Supreme Court Justice Lewis Powell in a 1978 decision. Powell argued that some colleges and universities might engage in some racial favoritism toward black students. If the schools could show that this would advance the intellectual diversity of college classes and benefit all students regardless of race, well, in the 2003 Supreme Court, in the Supreme Court in a majority decision in the case of Grutter v. Bollinger agreed that diversity was an acceptable reason for racial preferences in college admissions, provided that the use of preferences was somewhat disguised. In other words, they actually rubber-stamped, yes, reverse discrimination, that's a good thing, if it fits this politically correct narrative. From here, he goes on to define uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the contemporary expansion of the diversity doctrine. Equity replaces the older idea of individual equality under the law with the idea that all social goods should be distributed in proportion to each ethnic group's size relative to the total population. Inclusion, which violates the principles of freedom of association and individual merit, requires the extension of group identity quotas to every part of society, public and private. And this fixation on group identity extends beyond race as proponents of DEI increasingly write gender identity into institutional policy. DEI ideologues share with their anti-racist peers the habit of suppressing their critics rather than answering their criticisms. There's much more to this article, but it's nice to see that uh, there are people who are actually pushing back against this. That's not an easy thing to do. Because the the, uh, sensitivity police, they're very well organized, they are very animated, and absolutely willing to go after anyone who disagrees or dissents. So kudos to those with the courage to speak up. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back. Want to mention HSLAmmo.com. This, of course, is the uh, ammunition company run by my friend Spencer Worthington, who I might add is one of the finest human beings that I have the privilege of knowing. And I mean that sincerely. Spencer truly is a great guy. On that basis alone, I would encourage you to do business with him. I would also encourage you to do business, though, with HSLAmmo.com if you take seriously the idea of being a person who is not only armed but skilled at arms. See, I happen to think that's one of the responsibilities of a free man or free woman. You not only need to be able to claim your rights and use your rights, but you need to be able to defend them if necessary. And that's an essential part of uh, the responsibility that comes along with the right to keep and bear arms. Ammunition is what helps you attain the skills that you need to be a responsible citizen, not just a responsible gun owner, but a responsible, free individual. And it's also a lot of fun, which is kind of an added bonus. It's also a great store of value. If you're thinking, well, you know, I was thinking about investing in gold and silver, that's great. But I would say keep in mind that uh, lead... Brass, copper, those are also precious metals that will have utility and store value very, very well, regardless of how the dollar is withering under the forces of inflation. So think about doing business with HSLAmmo.com. All right, a couple other stories here. Um, Sorry, this was a little bit controversial, but uh, wow, does it need to be said. It's taken a very long time, but the lockdown and vax narratives are finally beginning to crumble. There's a wonderful Substack uh, entry by El Gato Malo, and this one is uh, this one is worth your time. The tipping point on vaccines and COVID policy approaches. El Gato Malo writes: first a trickle, then a flood. The focus of mainstream news on COVID is shifting noticeably, and it's becoming okay to call BS. And the jerseys are changing at speed. Tucker Carlson is out telling that the vaxxed are seeing more overall deaths and worse medical outcomes and overall immune suppression and destruction story that's been in top medical journals for months if you knew where to look. There's a nice link to uh, a clip from Tucker Carlson that uh, that shows you what he's talking about here. Now, this isn't going to be new news to readers possessed of discerning catitudes, says El Gato Malo, but this is a bombshell to much of America. Guys like Tucker are not around for the early innings of the games of the games like these. They jump in when the game looks like it can be a rout. And this is triple two of vaccines and vaccine efficacy because it's a massive political third rail and anti-vaxxer has been such an effective ad hominem epithet to link one to loads of poorly calibrated claims irrelevant to the current debate. It's kept many away from this issue as one risks being sidelined by the howlers for addressing it. Criticize vaccines, get banned from all debate on topics, on all topics, actually, has been the name of the game. But this is ending because the Overton window is moving and many on the other side are now backing away from old positions. And here's this clip of uh, Dr. Uh, Deborah Burks on Fox News making the astonishing claim that she always knew the vaccines would not stop the spread. She says, I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines. Those are her words. You can click on the clip and see it for yourself. Claims that vaccines protect against severe disease and hospitalization before saying that 50% of those who died via Omicron were older and vaccinated. To which uh, 
<laughs> El Gato Malo says, <clears throat> this is an incredible statement, and she must know she's going to get called on it. The vaccines make you a dead end for the virus. You won't get it or transmit it. This was the utterly unified talking point of the entire edifice of public health, and the idea that Burks knew it was false is either the tallest of tall tales or proof that the Debster is a sociopath. Everyone said this. Yes, the vaccines were supposed to stop COVID spread. Yes, the experts told us so. Right now, there's a lot of revisionist history around vaccines. It's getting pretty extreme, so let's be very clear that those were the promises made by people in authority. And we have the receipts. Now, Agato Malo says, And Deb sure did not speak up to contradict it, or, unless I missed something, mention this little factoid in her memoir of manipulative mendacity, where she brags of telling so many other lies to mislead the president and his staffers. That's a link that's worth following as well. And honestly, the case that they knew and deliberately lied is far worse for them, so it seems like a bizarre claim to make. She's literally saying, I wasn't a fool. I was a monster. The science didn't change. I just stopped lying to you. But you can trust me now. Now, Gato Malo says, I'm struggling to see how that's a better look. So why the aggressive shift away from this? Well, the answer is because the data is falling apart. Prevalence is exploding, and it's nearly all in the vaxxed. Signs of OAS and leaky vax-driven viral evolution to become advantaged by herd-level antigenic fixation are everywhere. So are the signs of large and severe side effect profiles that look to get worse by the dose. So are signs of immune suppression. There were signs of everything but efficacy. And perhaps Debbie would rather appear the villain than the dupe. Or maybe she's just not uh, playing with much look-ahead. So, meanwhile, tweets like uh, Scott Adams saying, if you are unvaccinated, you are in the middle of a deadly pandemic. If you are vaccinated, it's Wednesday. Those tweets are not aging well. And everybody else is running for cover or changing their tune. Definitely a very worthwhile uh, article here from El Gato Malo. It's linked in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I know some may dismiss this, well, it just sounds like a bunch of conservative ranting and raving. I would say take a look at the information before you reject it. Maybe you won't believe it. Maybe you'll think, nah, this, is, this just doesn't add up. Take a look at it anyway. I think you'll find that uh, there is definitely a huge disconnect. And I know they're going to be looking for scapegoats. No scapegoats are going to be found. The question is, will it be the likes of Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and others who were in positions of authority who knew better, but who kept up the deception? All right, one final note. It's a shame it's so controversial to suggest that the natural differences between the feminine and masculine are somehow complementary or even beneficial to a healthy society. Got a great essay here from Paul Rosenberg explaining the feminine principle and how our culture is currently lacking it. Paul Rosenberg says, From time immemorial, humanity has enjoyed the presence of what we might call feminine influences and masculine influences, which don't necessarily involve one or the other sex. These masculine and feminine principles have jointly molded humanity, and our progress has required them both. Feminine influences have been things like kindness, understanding, connection, nurturing, sensitivity, supportiveness, and being emotionally expressive, and so on. These things have influenced us to turn away from knee-jerk responses, to consider multiple viewpoints, and to seek reconciliation. 
Now, male influences, on the other hand, have skewed more toward decisiveness, action, stoicism, focused passion, persistence, and things of that sort. Paul Rosenberg says, as I say, our world has been home to both masculine and feminine influences as far back as we can see. More than that, a successful family life, families being the center of the human experience, requires a balance of these two principles. When one or the other is lacking, personalities and relationships get out of balance and may remain that way. Speaking simply as a male, he says, I can say that I would have gone in wild directions more than once had I lacked feminine input. And I'm quite sure that an opposite version of this has been true for many women. We need both feminine and masculine influences if we are to be healthy and stable. Now, right now, there is an imbalance. And he says there have always been battles between the male and female principles, but most commonly within families where they were generally worked out to some level of satisfaction. But over recent decades, the feminine principle has been attacked and rejected. And he says it's my opinion that a good deal of our present troubles trace back to a lack of feminine influences. The cultures of the West, to put it simply, are suffering from a lack of the feminine principle. Because feminine influences have been reduced or eliminated, our cultures are overflowing with masculine assumptions, even though our rhetoric can make it seem much the opposite. He says, here's how a friend of mine recently explained this. Feminists are much more interested in having women achieve recognition as CEOs and other classically masculine roles than in promoting them in roles like motherhood or caregiving, which are classically feminine. It would be more accurate to describe them as masculinists, since that is the modality they tend to pursue and promote. Now, Paul Rosenberg says this rejection of classically feminine influences has led many to believe that no one would behave in a feminine matter, manner rather unless they were inadequate. And that kindness is born of weakness, that connectedness arises from insecurity, that supportiveness is ev evidence of neediness, and so on. And these beliefs condemn feminine influences and establish a hyper-masculine perspective. But he says such beliefs are misguided. It is more the case that kindness evinces stability, connectedness, breadth of vision, and supportiveness, wisdom. I guess his point is that the feminine principle is deeply necessary to us. In fact, it was once the backbone of our civility, understanding, and forgiveness. And those are things that we need back. Our cultures are, to be direct about it, out of balance. It's a pretty worthwhile essay. I hope you'll take a look at it. It's in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.